Yo, episode 54, motherfuckers. Uh, wow, off to, a, off to a great start. Um, this episode, Boyfrienders, um, Benny from Boyfrienders came on. Um, we talked about all kinds of shit. You're just gonna have to listen to this one. Um, this is a good episode, though. Um, Benny played a couple songs, one at the beginning, one at the end. Um, check out Boyfrienders, for real, super catchy. Um, heavily influenced by Mountain Goats, lyrically. Um, but like more of like synthy rock pop feel uh, to the music recordings that I've heard. Um, some shows coming up: 2:20 at Max Bar, Good Sleepy Cloud District, Dogs Knees, and Brevity. Um, 2:22 we got Harvey Waters, Dearly Somber Labor Day Weekend, and Dogs Knees at Button Bellows and Ipsy. And then on 3:1 at PJ's Logger House, Doe Eyes, Giacomo, and Craig Garwood. So check those out. Um, enjoy it, this episode. And share the podcast, please. Thank you. I love you. I'll say it again because now I'm recording. Benny from Boyfriender. <laughs> and take it away. All right. This song is called The Lower East Side Blues. It's about coming to terms with my gender identity. And it's going to be a single from my new album, Scenes of Brooklyn, which comes out next month. I'm putting this out a week before that comes out. So breaking news. All right. Here we go. I was 17 when I knew I wasn't a boy Revelations that brought me a certain sense of joy The Lower East Side lets its attitude be known A stupid fucking viewpoint that can't help but be shown Friends end up surrounding me Respect my identity more than my family ever would or could Go back to conforming to a gender binary I really don't think that I ever could Gentrification rears its ugly head again And I don't really feel comfortable being around men I twist and bend to try and still fit in To archaic views surrounding the concept of sin Friends end up surrounding me who respect my identity more than my family ever would or could Go back to conforming to a gender binary I really don't think that I ever could Surrounding me who respect 
back my identity more than my family ever would or could. Go back to conforming to a gender binary. I really don't think that I ever could. Go back to conforming to that fucking binary. I really don't think that I ever could. Thank you. Say hi to Pat. Hi, Pat. <laughs> cool. That's good. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. We're here. Yay. Hooray. What was the name of that song again? That song was called The Lower East Side Blues. Okay, yeah. So, are you from New York? Or, like, I'm just curious, like, because you said you're from, like, this area. I was, yeah. like, confused. But I love fucking New York, and I know that's not a hot take. Um, I'm just like, what is the what's what's the connection to New York? Um, the connection is while my sister moved out there probably about five or six years ago at this point. Okay, and so every year since probably about 2017, I've gone out there probably about three times a year just to like go visit her. You know, always yeah. have a place to stay. And I, from the moment that I got there the first time, I, like, immediately fell in love with the city. Yeah. Like, everything about it, I'm in love with. What's your favorite part? Like, if your favorite, like, your favorite neighborhood? My favorite neighborhood is, honestly, Prospect Park in Brooklyn, because that's where my sister lives. It has the best pizza place I've ever been to in my entire life. Oh, okay. Um... Prospect Park itself is a very nice park to be at. I've honestly always loved Brooklyn more Brooklyn's than nice, dude. the other boroughs because of the fact that Brooklyn feels really... God, what's the word I'm looking for? It feels real, in a y- sense. Yeah, yeah. Like It's like, you go to New York, you see all the like, oh, there's it's all the landmarks. Square. <laughs> yeah, glitz and glam, there's Times Square, which is honestly kind of a nightmare to visit. Dude, yeah, it's it's overwhelming yeah and then you get to brooklyn and it's like oh this is like an actual place where people can live and stuff yeah <laughs> it's beautiful i love it with everything it'd be accessible would be a good word yeah like, there we go yeah i was i was i've only been there twice oh, okay but so like i went once when i was 18 and once last uh just this past summer as the summer was ending or the fall i don't know i don't remember but uh it was nice and I when I was 18 I didn't really fully appreciate it cuz I was just a dipshit. Yeah. And uh as most 18 year olds <laughs> Yeah. That's like the the folly of being 18. It's like you're so sure of yourself. Right. And yet you're like it, you're you have with no real reason to be. And then as you get older <laughs> it's like you become less sure of yourself with more reason to be sure of yourself. That's what I've kind of found at least anyway. <laughs> like I'm probably in better shape mentally now than I ever was, but like I'm less sure of myself, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but no, I love, I mean, it's typical. I love Greenwich Village though, like yes. in, in Manhattan, because that is like, it feels like a neighborhood and I love, you know, I just love the, that there's actual greenery and stuff. And yeah. It, it's just so great. When I was there, I stayed in, uh, I think Bushwick, is that in Brooklyn? Yes. That's kind of like, I love Bushwick as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's where we stayed. It was nice. And, you know, we went over to like bushwick williamsburg you did the you know we did all the checked out all the hipster neighborhoods you know yeah giant hipster <laughs> i love when you're in new york too and like you see somebody that 
they look like they're straight out of just like Vogue the magazine. Yeah. Like I it's saw- <laughs> like living in the Midwest. It's like, oh, you never see those kinds of people. So sometimes it's hard to believe that they're like actually real. <laughs> yeah. And then you get there and it's just like, oh, most people are like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what that's what's cool about it. So like compared to like the Midwest, it seems like everybody has like just like New York swag, you know? Yeah. And then there's people that stand out for New York. And those are the people that are wearing like triangular, like I saw this like triangular pink, like hot pink. I don't even know if it's a jacket, but it was, she just looked like a triangle and she had like Tyler, the creator hair. Oh, and, like, hell yeah. you know, like the blonde Tyler, the creator hair. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. Like I, it's took everything for me to not be like audibly. Oh, shit. Like because <laughs> that shit excites me. Like I love when people are just, yeah, just go for it. You know? It's funny, though, because I, after having gone so many times, I've also built up kind of a social so- circle in New York Yeah, that's, like, kind of separate from here. And it's, like, it's odd because a lot of the people who this might be just, like, the Midwest hospitality just manifesting inside of me. Yeah. But a lot of those kinds of people that I'm friends with in New York, like you could guess that they also come from the Midwest. Like, they don't really seem like the New Yorker type. Right, right. Like, funny story, on the album, on the actual uh, studio version of Lower East Side Blues, I had my, I don't know if I would call him a friend, acquaintance. His name is Felix, and he's on a podcast in New York called Chapo Trap House. Yeah. And I had, I DM'd him on Instagram one day, and I was like, dude, will you, I, I keep hearing this intro to this song and it's I can only hear it in your voice. Not expecting him to do it or even read the fucking message. Right. And then I immediately got a message back and it was like, oh yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, oh yeah, he's from Chicago. So there's that Midwest yeah. hospitality coming out. So in the recorded version of the song, you'll hear right at the beginning of Felix Biederman from Chapo Trap House saying, man, I can't even lie. This shit kind of sucks. that's rad (laughs) that's so cool (laughs) it's it's nice when things like that just kind of work out i think my roommate's here (laughs) say hi to carl hello what's up dude just chilling dude (laughs) you know what it is we out here straight chilling in cedar rapids (laughs) yeah cedar rapids (laughs) i feel like that's probably a reference that i don't get I'm an, old, it's, I'm an old man. It's from a video of it was during the 2016 presidential election, and it was from a video of Hillary Clinton trying to be relatable. So oh. it, it's just <laughs> her like selfie video, I think Instagram Live, and it's just I'm killing in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it. I'm killing. <laughs> that's. <coughs> I was just talking the other day to somebody about how I love videos where it's like super rich people being out of touch oh yeah they're They're like a human trying to like a robot trying to pretend to be human or something (laughs) like the zuckerberg smoking meats video (laughs) that one's so good dude i love seeing things like that because it's like it's such a world removed from those people that they all just come across as robotic it's Mm -hmm. like Hey, Mark, if you haven't spent like two hours falling down the rabbit hole of Joker meme Facebook pages like (laughs) I have, don't even try to be relatable to me. Right. (laughs) Smoking brisket. (laughs) Anyone else? Got got some 
brisket in the uh, the green green egg. <laughs> it's like, dude. And then he's got his friend who just doesn't say anything, just smiling the whole time. <laughs> dude, you know who's a good one is Garth Brooks. Oh, he's a good. Are follow. you talking about the his Instagram? I well, was like your mom's the, uh, house. Yes. Yeah. Another good Garth Brooks video is his uh when he made his Facebook page, he made like yeah. a welcome video. It's, yeah. It's perfect. It's so good. As as a wise man once said, let the conversation <laughs> begin. That's <laughs> so good. Have Sometimes you heard of the- me and Matt from uh Boyfrienders will reference shit like that that only me and him are like ridiculous enough to even look into and find humorous yeah and then our bass player celeste will be like i i don't know what that is and then alex gene will be like oh ho, ho, i know what that means <laughs> even though he doesn't really yeah <laughs> uh what was i gonna say i think i lost it <laughs> anyways i can go into some music stuff okay <laughs> so what are your okay so first of all the first thing i noticed uh was you have like a a unique lyrical style in that there's like there's no hiding behind uh oh, that's just my work phone it'll turn off eventually but uh okay. there's like no hiding behind like metaphor really you know what i mean it's just very straightforward and yes. to the point and there's like probably a certain level of vulnerability to that yeah which is respectable you know i thought carl can you uh grab that just like turn it off or whatever or just yeah i'll take probably gonna, thank you ah uh, who who calls a work phone at 6 30 dude i don't i don't get it <laughs> it's like the day is over the day is long gone um but yeah you know it, it's just very straightforward very yeah. very clear and almost re if i was reading on a page it would it would read i almost think like like just a paragraph you know what i mean you're just yeah. to the point my lyric writing is very in much influenced by john darniel from the mountain goats okay i love the mountain goats are my favorite band of all time okay and i really appreciate the fact that he while he will use metaphors sometimes it's not a big part of his songwriting like yeah. it is for a lot of people and like i'm not knocking that kind of lyrical stuff right, right, right. i love shit like that yeah but like I always appreciated the fact that how blunt he is with what he's saying. Like he doesn't try to like mask it behind something. He's just like kind of truly himself. And Lower East Side Blues is actually me kind of coming out as genderqueer kind of to the world, which is yeah. frightening in a lot of respects. For so sure. I figured when I was writing about it, because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I figured I need to write about this in the most blunt way possible because I'm not saying this is just like a general rule, but to me, that's the only way that I would feel authentic coming out with it. Yeah. Just being extremely blunt. Like, oh, uh, like the lyric, uh, friends end up surrounding me who respect my identity more than my family ever would or could. Yeah. Like, that's legitimate. Like, I do not believe that my family would see that as legitimate like my friends would. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, like, it's easy to... Like if you want to use metaphor like down the road to talk about it, it's I think you're setting yourself up to be able to do that. Yeah. Like rather than going the other direction. Like if you like wrote some like if you tried to say a lot of the same things but buried them deep in metaphor and were to where it wasn't clear, then 
there might be questions. You're, you're, you're basically, you're not leaving anything to the imagination, which is good. Yeah. You know, you're just putting it out there. And then down the road, if you want to write with, you know, more more metaphorically or whatever, at least people know where you're coming from. Yeah. And on Scenes of Brooklyn, there's also a lot of, like, writing that's very metaphorical in a lot of respects. Yeah. Like, I have a song that I released as a single a couple weeks ago called Dreamcaster. And, like, you look at the lyrics and it's just, like... To be honest, it sounds like a lot of nonsense, but it's also like I was talking to Alex Dean about this, where it's like, oh, that song is about the fear of ending a relationship when you know that you have to. And then Alex just looks at the lyrics and just goes, oh, I completely get that now. Yeah. It's like, I feel like both writing styles can be very effective in that way. It's just that, like, the kind of, like, really blunt, in-your-face lyricism has always suited me the best. Yeah. And I'm, like, the complete opposite, so it's it's interesting <laughs> to, like, talk with somebody who is like that. Yeah. It's like, I'm very much just, you know, how much can I get away with actually revealing, you know? Like, yeah. But through just, you know, a ton of metaphor and a ton of just, you know, I like, I mean... I, I got a lot of respect for that style because I like to create a wall kind of. Yeah. I like to put, and I think there's merit to that too, because like, I don't know. I think for certain things that I write about, if it, if I were to just be as blunt as you were, like you're being blunt about something that is very specific to you, but then is also going to be like relatable to so many people. Yeah. Whereas, like, certain things that I write about are, like, if I was super specific about it, they would not be as widely relatable, Yeah, I feel like. So, like, having some separation and, like, using metaphor, I think, allows it to be more uh, purposefully vague, if you will. Yeah. To where, like, you know, it could be more uh, relatable because then people, you know, there's there's just enough to kind of put, like, the f- uh, the framework of a story there kind of thing. And then you can kind of make your own conclusions. And then you can yeah. hopefully apply it to yourself rather than think about what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, that's my goal is, is to, like, to give people something to where, like, they can kind of where, – where, where they don't – they're not tempted to wonder what it meant for me as much as they – it makes them feel something about themselves, I guess. Yeah. Which is kind of – I don't know really often toe the line between sounding pretentious and authentic but you know (laughs) i'm really not trying to be with the new album it was like a lot of the stuff i've written before i kind of like still had kind of like that same blunt lyrical approach but i'm also i like to think of myself how no matter how pretentious this sounds as a storyteller yeah like a lot of the songs that i released before this album were kind of like not really based in reality it was me kind of like stepping into someone or a Mm. situation and kind of thinking about how like oh how would i approach this situation with the new album it's more it's more authentically me which is where each of the songs i put a lot of my own personal experience within them Mm. like like it's nothing really like revolutionary or like world ending or anything like that it's just kind of stuff that's like i have a song on the album called meet me at prospect park and you look at the lyrics and it's like oh this is about kind of experiencing troubles in a relationship but like having someone set you straight to the point where you feel confident in that relationship again okay and it's like 
in actual in real life that was the thing it was like the whole first verse is about like meeting someone and hanging out with them and then sending you straight and in reality it was me being in prospect park and hanging out with his name is nick mullen and him kind of setting my shit straight in a lot of different ways it's kind of like sometimes i find i have some trouble towing the line between what how much of myself i'm willing to put out there yeah but also if someone can like listen to the songs and find something relatable and it helps them in some sort of way that kind of like i always kind of put that as a priority over my personal comfort with how much i'm revealing if that makes sense yeah it absolutely makes sense and uh that's that's something that you know i try to remind myself of and when i go to write lyrics i it's always the same process i feel like zero creativity for most of the time yeah and then all of a sudden at 2 a.m sometimes like it's usually around 1 or 2 a.m like i'll get this sudden spark of just creativity and then i write pretty much a whole song you know and then i'm super stoked about it and i'm saying all these personal things and like all these you know deep often dark emotions are just there yeah and i just feel like i I so cathartic that I just got all that out of me. I'm so happy. And then the next day I realize, oh, I have to sing that to people. Yeah. You know? And it's like, uh, but I've been, I will say, I've, ne- I've been really good about not backing down yeah. from things. And I think that's really important. There's for been me at least one situation that I can think of where I kind of like backed down from something. Yeah. So last year I put out an EP called Diamond Boy through Good Luck Charm Records. You know, Jake. Yeah. And uh, my friend Dan, Dan Zasadny, recorded it for me. And we recorded three of my old songs. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put these three songs on this EP and also two demos. And that's going to be the EP. Yeah. And then right before it went into production, I kind of had like, there's a song that was on there called Technicolor Skate Park, which is. That's cool. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's referring to Cedar Point, which is like. Odd. <laughs> but, That's uh, sweet, dude. That's sweet. It's about it's very, very beyond the pale, obviously about someone who had been in my life. Okay. And as it was getting closer and closer to like, okay, I have to get these tracks in there. We have to get the CDs made, everything like that. Yeah. I kind of just had like an epiphany at three in the morning one night where I was just like, can we go without that song? Can we just put the other two and the two demos? And that's really the only situation where I could think of myself like backing away from something. Because (laughs) if I'm writing about someone in my life who's real and actually exists, I can't in good conscience put something out without their approval for it first. Yeah. And I fell out of contact with this person long ago. Like I haven't talked to them probably in about four and a half years. Yeah. So I was just like, if I, if I don't even feel comfortable reaching out to this person, cause it's how long it's been, then like, why would I feel comfortable putting this out to the world? Right. Right. So I was just like, yeah, we can, we can go without that one. No, I'll, I think I'll that's play a, it sometimes it shows, but like that's the general gist of it. Yeah, you, people don't in that context. People aren't going to know. They're not going to like, yeah, read through with a fine tooth comb sort of thing. Yeah. I think that's like a, a like a smart choice, probably. Yeah, you know, this isn't like hip hop diss tracks. You know what I mean? You're not <laughs> trying to do that. No. Um, you, you were mentioning uh, 
like how you used to write songs or maybe you still will, but you know what I mean? Like you, in the past you've written songs that are kind of you like putting yourself in someone else's shoes sort of yes. thing. I've, I've struggled to like give myself license to do that. And not to say that because some of my favorite songwriters, like Ben Folds is somebody I love and Ben Folds has, is just great at doing that. Most yeah. of his songs seem like they're, you know, from someone else's perspective. So I'm like, I'm curious as someone who's not very good at that, like, is there a certain process that, that differs like in order to like get yourself into that? Or like, how do you choose who to um, write about or in those kinds of situations when I'm writing by telling a story and stepping into a character instead yeah. of like it being myself, there will, a big thing that I will do is I will take, a concept like say that the concept is like oh i'm writing the song i want to write a song about kind of like falling in love with someone but not feeling like you're worth falling in love with that person i wonder what that's like like that is something that i personally have never experienced oh like i've been with the same girl for almost two years i love her to death i've never had that experience of like being afraid to fall in love with someone because of how naturally that happened with her and but like i said i wonder what that's like because i've definitely experienced that a number of times like i'm that's like my pattern but go on (laughs) i'm sorry about that it's all good but it's in the scope of like writing something about like an experience that you're not personally familiar with i'll take something from that concept okay falling in love with someone or wanting to fall in love with someone, but not feeling like you're worth falling in love with them. What's an emotion that's relatable to most people that you would feel in that anxiety? Yeah. Depression, self-worth stuff like, yeah, like things that I personally have had problems with at points in my life. Mm. So I kind of take from those emotions that I felt and what I know about those emotions and kind of just frame them in that context of what I want to write about. Huh? That's interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Were you ever a theater kid? I was not a theater kid. I was a marching band kid. Okay. But I was very much around theater because that is perform the performing arts is my sister's bread and butter. She oh, okay. Was in all the plays in high school. She went to college for it, graduated with a degree with a theater major, moved to New York City, all of that stuff. So nice. I've always been around the performing arts my entire life. So I have I would say that I have a pretty good familiarity with it. So I was going to say, because that's like kind of like a theater concept to me, or just like an acting sort of concept is yeah. like the whole like, you know, you don't, ha- you haven't been in this particular situation, but you've, you can imagine the emotions and then you, you felt those emotions. So you try to like channel what made you feel that way yeah. in order to like get authenticity within that emotion. Yeah. Which, you know, is cool. I like that kind of stuff. I'm artsy. I like that. <laughs> I really wish I would have been like a theater kid. I really wish, I think I would have had a lot of fun acting. Like whenever I was in high school, I always tried, or even now, I always try to make everybody laugh usually. Like, yeah. especially like in groups of friends. Like I'm always, always doing characters <laughs> basically. Oh, trust me. That's me as well. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, I say when I say characters, I'm just like, uh, just like a satirical version of like hyperbolized version of myself. You know what I mean? I just like joking around so much. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So what are, uh, you said mountain goats. What do you, what do you, when you uh, have the full band going, what are some of like the musical influences? Do you think it's 
still like mountain goats or is that more just the lyrical side um the lyrical side i feel like is still definitely very mountain goats-esque yeah musically it has tended over the course of the history of boyfrienders to be very varied okay like a lot of the original material was like very also musically mountain goats influenced but like early mountain goats where he's recording albums just straight to a cassette tape through a boombox yeah. microphone like i would purposefully i one year for christmas when i was 17 i purposefully had my mom track down the model boombox that he used to record those and oh. get that for me for christmas and i would just record every single day with that. that's sweet throughout the course of my life i've always been attached to this project name but as my musical influences have just kind of evolved, it's always yeah. kind of like seeped its way into everything that I've been writing through the yeah. progression of my musical life. That's funny because, like, in a my band in a daydream, like that was me. Like, uh, I mean, in high school, my buddy and I started the band, and we were writing like very like pop punk, like Fall Out Boy was like a huge influence, yeah. like like from like from under the cork tree Fall Out Boy, you know, like the old like pop punk stuff, and you know over time you know there's still like common elements yeah that still like carl he's he's known like everything i've written since high school you know yeah. and like he said that, you know he's told me that there's elements of the stuff i write now that it's clear that they're in a daydream songs but they're not like it's clear that i have you know i'm not in high school yeah any, anymore so but yeah like what you said you're attached to the, <laughs> that band name like that's exactly how i why i haven't changed it because like I, I was in a couple other bands that didn't really work out and then I was I was like getting discouraged and I was just yeah. like, you know, I'm going to like just make my own project. I'm going to call it in a daydream and then I'm just going to not settle, you know, because yeah. I was just settling for bands that like just just to be in one. Yeah. You know, and I just wasn't artistically fulfilled. And once I st said, fuck it, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to settle and I'm not going to just do something just to do it it's weird how the universe works man like i mean yeah. just things just start working out yeah things just start you know things have been you know slowly but surely kind of working in my yeah. favor hopefully you're not allergic to cats oh no i'm okay not. that's luca. very very nice that's luca <laughs> yeah she's a good girl um uh, i've been in four bands well one two three four yeah four bands throughout my life i used to be in a my first band was a blues rock kind of like Black Keys style band. Oh, sweet. With uh Zach and Ryan from Our Attic when we were all in high school together. Okay. And then they went off with we ended the band cuz it was just kind of like it was like a fun kind of like jamming together playing shows together, but we yeah. our, all of our priorities were like kind of shifting. They went off and started a band, a noise pop band called The Heritage Days with my guitar player Matt. And then I went off and started a pop punk band with a few of my friends. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, I never regret any of the musical projects that I'm in because it's all at different points in my life where it was like, yeah. I was completely stoked on it. Yeah. So it would be like, in my opinion, kind of silly to look back and be like, oh, that band kind of sucked. I hated being in it because it's right. like you have so many good experiences because it's like, yeah, like music, playing music is obviously very fun, but also it's growing close to these people and spending time with them and everything yeah dude yeah like and i think that's a probably something good to point out that if you're in a band and you 
are having those feelings like i just hate being in this and it's just like then it's like why me. are you yeah yeah like I the most important bear. thing to me has been being whatever state i'm at in that current t- period of time is musically fulfilled yeah like we can all have fun together we can play music together but if i don't feel personally fulfilled then it's like there's no point in me being there because it's going to make me unhappy and it's going to bring the rest of them down yeah like i used to be in a like the band a band i mentioned before we went live hearts of palm which is kind of like a new wavy synth pop kind of band they're still around and everything and they're still all of my very best friends and I left because it started kind of feeling a little bit more like a chore than I would have wanted it to. Yeah. So I was just like, I'm still going to see all these people after I leave this band. Like, it's not like we're going to stop being friends. So like, I need to do the best thing for myself and the best thing from them. So now I'm managing them. Yeah. Which is also really funny. It's really fun too. That's okay. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just recently thinking like, of just hearing about bands with managers, which is also a great Pedro the Lion song, by the way. It's called <laughs> Bands with Managers. But um, just in general, I'm just curious, like what what a band manager does. Like, what are your duties? Um, basically, what I do for them, it's I wouldn't call myself a band manager. I would just say that I'm taking on a lot of the administrative responsibilities from them. So they can focus more on the creative aspect of things. Yeah. It's like, because like I said before, we went live. It's this dynamic of these people that you've known for almost your entire cognizant life of being involved in music and things like that. So it's like, you know how these people tick and it's like, oh, we got to write songs, but we also got to worry about shows, money. We got to manage money. Got to worry about gear, pictures, studio time, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I love them all to death and wanted to do what I could to help them with all of that stuff so they could focus on being creative, writing new songs, getting new shit together. And it's been working out really well so far. I love doing all the administrative stuff. (laughs) Good for you. I'm, I'm, if I'm not working on something or have something in the works, I don't feel fulfilled. So I always have to be working on something in regards to that. If you're for hire, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, you, you know, um, you know, Katie Musial. Yes. So she's gonna, uh, we were talking about her doing some, some tour, tour managing. Okay. For us. Uh, once our record's done, we're actually look ready to start touring and stuff. Yeah. But, I uh, I just I just saw she posted that she wanted to do that for bands or like sell merch or book tours. I'm like, you can 100% do all of those things <laughs> because I don't want to do it. I think it takes like <laughs> a special breed of neuroticism to like find that <laughs> stuff appealing. Oh, yeah. Because it's like getting all the boyfriender stuff back together within the past year has been a headache in a lot of ways but it's just like i don't know why i just love it so much yeah like getting all the shit together like i booked the tour that we're going on with hearts of palm in late april early may all by myself sweet and it's like of course i had help from jack parsons from mover shaker was doing that yeah but it's like i've always been the kind of person who revels in having full control over everything and yeah. I don't mean that in like any negative no, way whatsoever. No, I know what you mean. It's just 
I feel more comfortable if it's like I'm the one calling the shots with a lot of the things. Yeah. No, I think I I've always been that way too. And so you're uh you're in good company here. It's it's <laughs> safe to say that. Uh but I uh yeah, I I have to have at least one thing at least creatively. Yeah. You know, when it comes to like touring shit like that, I, I'll, I'll, I'm fine. I'll trust somebody else, yeah. especially Katie, because she's working with Out of This World. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like I, I'm, I trust those guys. Um, love, but, love all of them with everything. Yeah, in me. yeah, absolutely. Except for Pat, but no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Pat. Fuck I Pat. especially love Pat. Uh, that's a good episode, by the way. When Pat was on here, <laughs> it was just hour and a half of just straight bits. Hey Pat, <laughs> if you're listening to this. Please, for the love of God, record more Koopa Kid stuff because it's so much fun. Yeah. That's all I have to say to you, Pat. Yeah. Record it with something other than a cell phone, too, you know? <laughs> no, I love Pat. I saw them. Uh, that was my first DIY show. Was uh, Really? Was was Koopa Kid. Yeah. It, it was it was them and like Bad TV and Dogleg and Callie Cousins over at the late station. Ooh. Yeah. It's a really stacked show. I wish I was there. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was you know a couple of years ago. Okay. Um. Well, it was like right around when he started Koopa Kid. So I don't know if it's been two years. Yeah. But it's you know, Mike Higgins is a heartthrob, and that's that's that was my main takeaway. But no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what I was saying before that. Uh. Oh yeah yeah talking about like. So I have to have like at least one thing where creatively I like you said just call the shots. Yes. In order to feel fulfilled, you know. And I I realized that after being in a couple bands that failed because like it in one instance I was just I tried to be like a collaborating member of a four piece. Yeah. And we had some cool songs and like I mean we had a lot of cool songs but there were things about it that like I just in my mind you know, because it's going to be in context of what my tastes are. Yeah. In my mind, like, if we need to change this because it's going to be better. And, you know, turns out, can't do that. Yeah, you still have three other people that yeah. need to filter that idea through. Yeah. So I was like, well, I can't, you know. The whole point of me playing in a band is to be f- to feel creatively fulfilled, right? You yes. know, and so... If I'm not getting that, then what am I doing? So I just, I got to be honest with myself. I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of my favorite musicians are like soul songwriters, you know, and they find bands, you know, that believe in what they're doing. So I'm like, I just need to put the work in to create something that I believe in that other people would believe in, you know, and want to be a part of rather than like try and, you know, fit a square peg in a round hole sort of thing. Yeah. And now that I have that, you know, slowly coming together. Like I can comfortably be a part of someone else's band, like the new band I joined and not feel like I have to have that same type of control and influence over things. It's, yeah. it's, it's refreshing to just like step into a project that you don't have to worry about like the major responsibilities, but also to feel trusted that like, you know, my input is valued. Yes. It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great situation to be in really. Yeah. But you know, I think that again, the, this is the advice section. If anybody's in a band and you're just like, you gotta, I think for anybody who's just, just getting into being in bands, like figure out like what you are, like figure out what you want your role to be and like what, 
how much do you need to be fulfilled? Like if, yeah. if you want to be in a band where it's like collaborative, but you're only, you know what I mean? Then find that. Don't, don't, don't settle. That's what I would tell myself yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago. And a big thing with working collaboratively with other musicians that I've also realized is that you need to all sit down together and figure out what direction you're going to go in early yeah, and try to incorporate everyone's influences to the project and the song as a whole as much as you can that also makes sense yeah. because a big problem with that i've well i wouldn't say a big problem something that i've run into that i particularly don't work well with other people might but something that i don't work well with yeah is um i feel like in a collaborative setting the song as a whole is more important than everyone's preferences to really what exactly they're playing on it yeah because like if someone's like ripping on a guitar or like throwing in drum solos just kind of like for lack of a better term to be self-serving it kind of like is a detriment yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> i totally agree and that's kind of what we were saying like before we started recording was you know with my bandmates like the directive i give them is to just learn the songs first yeah like learn the parts that like i wrote first and then start changing things yeah you know and then like not really changing things per se but like putting your spin on them you know but but you know respect the work that you know just in general respect the work that the songwriter did yeah you know like i i think it's just and I'm not saying my band does this because they're they they haven't been doing this. They've been they've been cool about it. Yeah. But you know, I've in my in a previous band, like I would write songs and the songs I would write, it just it felt disrespectful that before they even gave my vision a chance, they started changing things and doing all this. And I'm like, Yeah. You know, at least respect me as a songwriter to like attempt yeah. Like what I was going for. And then we can talk about like, once you like understand, yeah. like, I can trust that you understand what I'm trying to do. Then we can talk about how because to I change Because I feel it. like, and you're exactly right when you say something like that, because it's like in a, col- there's a difference in dynamic between members in a collaborative setting. Or if someone you're helping someone realize something that's that they've written in like a grander, more full band setting. Yeah. Because it's like, if you're being collaborative, like that and writing something, it's like, yeah, bring everyone's ideas to the table and everything like that. But if you're helping, like, like, I'm not saying that this is like in real life. I'm just using him as an example. Like, yeah, saying that you are playing in Colin's live band for Ship and Sail. Yeah. Like, how do you think he would feel if like, he's like, oh, learn these songs and then you completely change up a part and then bring it to that first rehearsal and it's like it's not really probably going to be it's like you're wasting someone's time yes doing that because it's like then you got to go back and like learn the actual part and like make that fit within the dynamic yeah which is like something i've realized especially in this incarnation of boyfrienders and i'm not complaining in any way whatsoever but coming together after being like learn this part learn this part learn this part yeah is it could be really difficult that first practice melding everything together. It's Dude. a lot more difficult probably than people would realize. That's why I like I'm I meet it's a lot more work. Well, maybe it's not, but like I meet individually with the different band members. Yes. 
and it's it's easier for me to like help you know it's easier for me to like solidify things that way yeah or at least in theory i meet with them individually i've met like i met with a drummer a lot like you know what like we you know that's how like the songs really got fully written yeah was you know he him and i like i always need a drummer to help me write the songs yeah like i write you know everything on guitar like i write the full song on guitar but like the vibe isn't there until until the drums come in and then like usually he comes up with an idea and i'm like that'll start the gears turning in my head but but yeah like it it's overwhelming when you like i can be aware of all the different parts that i want on for each instrument and stuff yeah but like to have them all together at the same time, like no one knows, like like I have to like solidify everything at the same time. It's just yeah. too much. I'm I'm like I can't even articulate it. It's just too much. It's like you're <laughs> taking on the role of like a high school band director, as <laughs> yeah. well as a singer or a singer slash guitar player. Yeah, and there's nothing written down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I had like the knowledge to and i don't know music theory either so it's a little bit harder like to explain yeah i do not either (laughs) yeah it's just like luckily the uh people in my band uh they might know music theory yeah i don't i don't remember if they do or not but they learn by ear so like i'm able to the way i explain things is just like by playing it yeah thing or like telling you what fret i'm on kind of thing yeah and luckily they're good at learning that way yeah but yeah, basically that, but like you said, like if you're, if you're just like changing shit before you even try and then you're coming to like a practice, I, you're wasting someone's time. And that's why I go back to what I said about figuring out what you are as a musician, what you want to be in a particular yeah. project. Because if you're going in and doing that, like that example, what you said, if you're doing that to somebody, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors. And also like, allow that person like the the Colin in your example allow that person to just have what they want to have and if it's not you let them find someone who is yeah you know like it's uh, i just don't understand it like like i don't know i just feel like it's a, just a lack of consideration that, that yeah. people should be more aware of 100% that's a sweet uh, shirt by the way <laughs> oh thank you like black metal but gay <laughs> that's so awesome it was it, it was literally one of those things where it was like i think i was in the middle of like a manic episode and it yeah. was like oh three people find this joke funny i'm going to order sweatshirts with this on it oh yeah. 351 dollars apple card here we go yeah and then i wake up the next morning and i'm like Phew, i really spent 351 dollars on those sweatshirts huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> You'll sell them though. Yeah, it's been Those going cool. really, really well. That's, That's something good. else that I've realized being in this project too is that, and this is something that I would give as advice to anyone in a band or anyone starting a band is that you cannot be afraid to take risks. Yeah. Whether that be, oh, I want to order a smirch, but I don't know if people will buy it. It's just kind of like, like stuff like that. Like, kind of, it's good that that worry is there because it means that you're grounded in reality still but also don't let that logic hold you back from everything that you want to do because in the grand scheme of things spending two hundred dollars split between four people on shirts that take longer than you thought would sell 
is in the general scheme of things not too big of a deal no it's really not yeah yeah like if if those types of things like it's okay to like be a little afraid of it but like you kind of got to get used to living in that fear a little bit yeah you know because that this industry in general is is so volatile and it's so unstable yeah especially starting out like you gotta just learn to live in the red i feel like but there's this uh and it's like the greater risk that you take with stuff like that like the bigger the reward yeah high risk high reward absolutely there's this edward norton quote i heard i heard him on a podcast can't remember what podcast it was i think it was with mark maron or something yeah but he was like uh the sensation of disaster is pretty intrinsic to most great things and I was just like, oh, wow. And he's just talking about like when he was doing Fight Club, it, it felt filming Fight Club. It felt like, what are we doing? Like, this is just a, a like a mess. Like, yeah. this is all over the place. Like, well, this is, you know, this constant fear and anxiety ends up being, a you know, all time cult classic. Yeah. You know, so that was I had that sticky note at work. <laughs> that, <laughs> that quote, I was like, that is good because I always feel like everything's like kind of collapsing you know or just yeah. not collapsing but like always uncertain yeah and know? it's like the logic i've always had towards that kind of thing is like you do it if it fails if it's not like anything world ending of course measure each risk by like how risky it is in general but yeah. if it's not something that's world ending it's kind of just like all right lessons learned pick myself back up and just continue going yeah i think yeah it's it's tough it's like when you're in the middle of something like when yeah. you're right in the thick of it to like have those realizations but at least being able to like look back and and learn like okay well i didn't have to worry about that that's like the biggest teacher for me is when i look back at the things i did worry about and i'm like oh ended up working out just fine yeah and then that helps me in the moment to not worry about whatever's going on yeah um i want to ask you about uh some of the, like the gender identity stuff Okay. And just how it plays into music. Cause like, I feel like I haven't been very good about, I've had like, I don't know. I feel like I've had guests on where I could have asked these questions, but I just didn't like, cause I just get caught up in the music stuff a lot of times. Yeah. But like, clearly, you know, you're no, you're no, uh, you're not shy about like singing about it, which is a good thing, obviously. Yeah. How much do you, how much does that identity like tie into like, the identity of like the band, you know, because I always wonder like how much is the band a band or is it a gender queer band? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Do you want do you want that to be associated with you like on the I, front page type thing or like how do you feel about that? It's actually funny because I just had a twenty minute conversation about this a few months ago with uh, Logan Gavel from Greet Death at the Loving Touch okay. about this kind of thing. Now, I don't drink. He was very drunk. <laughs> Logan drunk is a very funny thing. But Sweet. anyways, um, we had a conversation about that kind of thing. And it was just like, I am of the opinion that I would not present Boyfrienders as a genderqueer type of band or really base our identity in something like that. Yeah. Because it's just like, at least to us, our identities like that at the end of the day are all very personal things. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I would never, ever knock someone for like making that their identity or anything like that because it's just like kind of different strokes for different folks. Like, yeah. if you're extremely comfortable with it and like just want to shout out to the world, like, 
I'm here. This is my identity. Let me let that manifest through its music. Then it's like more power to you. I just personally would not feel comfortable with my project kind of like presenting itself in that way because to a lot of to like the general populace i'm still not really out yeah does that make sense yeah it does i think like it it really is largely dependent i feel like on the subject matter yes and like the message you're trying to convey like from album to album even you know like and i've i've gotten a lot better about this but i think like it's a something i was trained by society to do is like if i see a band that isn't just all men then i think uh, like oh paramore girl singer you know what i mean yeah. instead of thinking about them as a band i think about them with a band with as a band with a girl singer yeah and i've tried to get i've gotten a lot better about that but i think that's just something to be cognizant of is the fact that society will do that though yeah you know what i mean like same with like like an all-female band like that's just it's still just a band you know yeah. what i mean and like i've really like try to make a point of of looking at it as just a band yeah rather than you know an all-female band but then you know you have like maybe all female bands that want to very much be known as like an all-female band you know what i mean they want that to be like a a a forefront type of thing whereas others just just want to be seen as a band which i I, I get both you know yeah i feel like it's best taken as like a case-by-case basis yeah and it's like the most the best thing that you can do for someone in regards to their gender identity is help them be comfortable and be respectful of their identity and i feel like in regards to like kind of letting that theme no matter how much you let that shine through in the music or the lyrics or anything like that it's just kind of just case it out and see how comfortable you would uh, perceive or just straight up ask them like is this really what you're going for stuff like that like obviously not in like a negative or like you really doing that are you kidding me kind of yeah it's just like the best thing to do in these situations is just be respectful to everyone in regards to their gender identity and how they let it come out through their music yeah because at the end of the day if you're the kind of person who looks at that and is like oh that's weird oh why are they making that their gimmick oh whatever (laughs) it's kind of just like dude shut the fuck up it does not affect you or your life in any way whatsoever. don't buy their record (laughs) yeah you're just finding something to be mad about yeah i agree just don't buy the record you know (coughs) i'm much i'm much more offended not offended but i'm just much more thrown off when a band just isn't good (laughs) rather than like i don't give a shit what they're like and I, i say stay empowered when i say i this next sentence i don't give a shit what your identity is it means because like yeah. you know what i mean i mean it in the way that i just care about your music and yeah. i just respect everybody be whatever you want yeah do whatever you feel is right for you like i don't understand how that could ever be a problem yeah for anybody but like hey i agree with everything you're saying um so do you have like what all do you have out right now for for boyfrienders and like what is like kind of next on the agenda? Um, I have. Hmm, what's the best way I can say this? I released a few EPs back, probably dating from 2013 up until 2017. Okay, all of that stuff is still up online. That was kind of the original incarnation where we like we still had the full live band back then too, except. Our bass player is now Celeste. It used to be our friend Connor. And uh, then we kind of like took a break for a little bit once me and Matt, 
our guitar player now joined the band Hearts of Palm. Hmm. And then I guess that the more relevant releases that I would talk about are I recorded a demo album last year called The Last Happy Night of Your Life. That's all songs that I had written over the course of like just writing stuff in general because I finally had the means to home record like full band versions of these songs. Oh, cool. And my method of home recording is just straight up direct in into a MacBook with Logic Pro X on it. Oh, okay. Which is just like, I love it. It makes it so easy. What interface do you use? Um, one of those little red Focusrite interfaces, like a one channel. Oh, I, word. I love that kind of thing. Cause like, I just got my first MacBook last year. Yeah. And I, and after I legally acquired Logic Pro X, <laughs> I, um, legal Ableton right here. <laughs> <laughs> legal ableton don't worry yeah but uh <laughs> i finally had the means to record all these songs in the in close to to the best of my abilities the way that i wanted them right so i recorded the demo album over the course of probably a week because everything was already written yeah put that out i was on a really big roll so i was like all right it's finally time i'm gonna record the first actual album so i recorded Teenage World, which is my first actual like studio in air quotes album. Yeah. Over the course of a month, I mixed and mastered it all myself to self-released it, paid for the CDs, put it up online, cool. all that kind of stuff. And then you no way. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm like neurotic with these. Yeah. I love it. But and then then after that started the process of getting the full band back together, starting to practice again, playing solo shows. Then Danza Sadney recorded Diamond Boy for me as a school project. Oh, and then, sweet. And then I was like, why don't I try to get this released through something? Like, just see what'll happen. Yeah. And then I saw that Jake, who was someone that I was like acquaintances with, like we had yeah. the same social circle, but I didn't really know him. Yeah, yeah. I saw that he started good luck charm Records, so i was like oh i'll just shoot an email see what happens and it was immediately like yeah let's do it and i was like oh fuck yeah yeah rules yeah and then so we put out diamond boy i played a few shows around that and then while all that was going on i've been recording scenes of brooklyn probably sparsely Mm -hmm. over that time but at that point it was like I feel like my abilities with mixing are like at a level that I'm comfortable with, yeah. but I am, t- I have no clue what I'm doing when it comes to mastering. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get an outsider's perspective on this. I'm just yeah. going to have someone mix and master the whole thing because it's just like, I like hearing that outside perspective. Yeah. So I had my friend Austin, Austin Stowozik from yeah. Eureka Records. I had him mix and master it and it came out beautifully and then i was like oh wow people are actually really stoked about this which is really weird i don't know what to do so yeah. it was like all right well if we're gonna make a big push we might as well make the biggest push we can so it was like all right get the full band together get on that show with mover shaker and dogleg get chris herman to take pictures of us put just put all this stuff together and be like all right, on this day, we're announcing it. We're putting everything out. We're being like, we're here. We're ready, finally, to like kind of try to make our mark with this shit. Yeah. And we did, and it's been 
turning out really, really well. That's good. I'm very happy with it. That's good. Yeah, I'm uh I'm always happy to hear uh like stories where things just work out. Yeah. Or at least they're starting to, you know what I mean? Yeah. That and that's cool. And I think an important thing to mention too is that like you didn't say this, but the fact that you just have friends with people. It's so valuable to have friends, like having friends in Mover Shaker. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like you're just naturally you're gonna get opportunities. Yeah. If, if you know, you have to have the merit. You wouldn't have had that opportunity if you didn't have a good band. Yeah. But also you had good friends and you put yourself in the right situation, you know, and like a lot of people starting out, that's something I didn't do until I had this podcast. But now that like I've met a bunch of people, like yeah. I feel motivated to go to shows now. The best I know advice people. that I can give is just, I under, I completely understand the thing with social anxiety because it's yeah. something that I very, very much feel myself but if you feel like you're in a place to do so and you feel the strength to do so like at shows just like start talking to people they're all people just people like are you. so cool yeah at shows like almost nobody that i've like struck up a conversation with at a show has been weird you know no. weird not weird in the sense like we're all fucking weird believe me like at, at any given you know diy show it's just <laughs> And I say this endearingly, a bunch of weirdos. Like, yeah. we're all the outcasts, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, in a lot of ways. I, I never really, I wasn't, like, I guess much of an outcast myself, but I was friends with all of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I just think that it, it's almost, like, oxymoronic to think, to be, like, uh, to to avoid those types of shows because of social anxiety, because those are a bunch of, that's where everybody with social anxiety goes to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like it's such a common thing that you're, and it's it's so supportive. It's like the most supportive, like you know, just everybody trying to help each other out, everybody trying to build yeah. each other up, make sure everybody feels good and happy all the time. It's just like so positive, like overwhelmingly positive, yeah. like even less of a sense of like making contacts, like not even thinking about that right now. If you just want to be friends with these people who you look up to and you like their music, if you just want to get to know them, just like send them a message, walk up yeah. to them and talk to them at a show. It's like most of these people are going to be very nice and very welcoming. Yeah. That's something that I realized from getting involved in the scene in the first place Yeah, is you can walk up to people and talk to them and they'll just be completely stoked that you want to talk to them and like yeah talk about how much you appreciate their music and things like that yeah it was like <coughs> it was really cool um humble brag right now but like <laughs> i recently uh interviewed uh cory from prince daddy and the hyena oh really yeah and that that's the like the most recent episode that's out right now okay um but yeah he was just on twitter and like someone mentioned that he was looking to do a podcast so i just shot him a dm and like literally 10 minutes later we we're on discord yeah just chatting <laughs> and by the end of the conversation i was like dude when you come to detroit like i'm coming to your show we're gonna chill like it's gonna be sweet you know and yeah. he was like yeah dude and i was like it's it's just like you said it because i i tried to consciously take the approach especially with him because he's the biggest one i've guessed i've had so far yeah but I, I took a conscious approach of like i'm just gonna get to know this person and i'm not gonna treat them any differently you yeah. know i'm not gonna you know 
and that's what I did. It's it's actually really easy to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's really easy to just have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's going to be really weird too like when they do come to Detroit and I do meet them. It's it's going to be weird to like see what he is in that context because yeah. he's a celebrity. And we we talked about that in the episode too. Like it's weird he was saying how it's weird to like you know see all these friends and like you know you're, they're just people but then within these weird contexts of like these shows they're celebrities for for a few hours yeah and then they just go back to i mean it's not that they go back to being normal people they always were but it's just it's interesting to see these people that you are that are very humanized to you become like this something elevated yeah. to other people who don't really know them very well it's just a strange concept, and I guess that it's always it's cool, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, th- that you know. But anyways, so I was gonna say it's it's back to your like your uh, you know your newfound success or whatever. I'm kind of in a in a spot where I'm just really don't know what to expect, you know, because yeah. like I'm doing a record and I'm excited about the record, you know, and like everybody's worked on it is like stoked about it yeah but it's just like in that uncomfortable like what's gonna happen you know right what if it flops you know then i gotta make another one or blah 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 it's just it's it's like that feeling is definitely very natural yeah it's like something that i'm also feeling right now with the new boyfrienders album which is like okay, I'm very confident in this material. This is the best material that I feel like I've personally wrote. Yeah. What if no one else gives a shit? Also, hopefully you feel that about every record, though. Like, in in theory, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that anxiety drives you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if if I were to write something now and I felt like it wasn't at least on par with something that I've done before, I would just... I, I would have no motivation to, like, keep going with it. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, that's why I don't write a lot of I don't write songs in rapid succession. Like, if if I were to try and like turn every little idea I come up with when I'm just jamming into a song, like I don't think they would be nearly as good. So like a lot of some songwriters that they have like thirty songs that they're picking from, and they make their album out of that. Yeah, and it's like I don't have any songs I throw away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just take the ideas that I really, really like and I just make those. Yeah. You know, it's a different and I take, you know, months to like really craft the whole thing. I, I, but the other band I'm in, our singer Vince literally just can fucking crank them out <laughs> and they're good. And like he takes them to the band and then, you know, we turn them into songs, but it's just like those two different st- styles. I'm kind of curious, like what, what your style is. Do you, uh, can you write a lot or can you write on command or does it kind of just have to come to you? I feel like it's a happy medium of all of those aspects need to come together for me because there will be periods of time where I'll feel like just this incredible creative drive where I can just sit down and like knock out three songs in one night and be like, Oh, I love all of these. But then there's also periods of time where it's like, I just, I never want to force it yeah and like that's kind of an issue that i've been having in the rollout of scenes of brooklyn because it's like i spent nine months working on these 10 songs yeah well 12 counting the interludes and it's like last year (laughs) last year i probably wrote about 
30 to 35 full length songs just in general recorded a bunch of them have some of them on a hard drive that i will probably revisit at some point yeah it's just kind of like i told myself after working on after finishing the recording for scenes of brooklyn that i was like all right i need a break i need a chance to recharge yeah and like we're at almost march and i finished the first full song that i've written this year yesterday nice (laughs) and it's like it's really really nice but also like i appreciate the fact that i kind of like am pulling it back a little because my mind is just like not always focused on like writing releasing writing recording releasing yeah recording releasing because then it just gets too much yeah and also like taking a break will kind of recontextualize like the things that you write after the break for me at least there will be a, a clear shift yeah from the last batch of writing you know yes. what i mean that definitely happened with me creatively because a lot of the stuff on scenes of brooklyn is very synth pop based yeah and after taking a break from it and just sitting down over the past few days and just writing the song that i've been working on it's called uh sitting in a hospital parking lot it's very like hollow pleasures era elvis depressly influenced and it's like whoa i did not see myself like i could not see myself six months ago sitting down and writing something like that that's great yeah that's great when that happens um well i'm gonna let you plug your socials and stuff and then we'll set you up do one more song and then okay call it good yeah sounds good so my our twitter account is at boyfrienders mi it's me alex gene and our guitar player matt running it so it's kind of a headache (laughs) um we don't really have we have a facebook account it's just boyfrienders you can just search it you'll see the picture of us uh instagram we don't really have a band Instagram. So if you want to just follow me, it's born X howling on Instagram. And okay. that's pretty much it for our social media stuff. Uh, scenes of Brooklyn comes out through good luck charm records, or I've gone this whole thing without saying the full title of the album <laughs> scenes of Brooklyn or meditations on mid twenties mediocrity coming out <laughs> that's cool. on March 20th through good luck charm records. Jake, thank you so much for being so professional to work with. It's such a treat. Yeah, and Jake's cool as shit. What was that? So Jake's cool as shit. Yeah, he rules. And uh, yeah, I'm releasing a new single on the weekend, the second to last or last weekend of February. I don't fucking remember. I think it's the last weekend of February. <laughs> I'm releasing a single called Brighton Beach and then Lower East Side Blues is coming out the week before the album. And then the album comes out and then we're going on tour at the end of April, early May with Hearts of Palm, which is going to be dope. And we have a whole bunch of shows coming up, too, which you can find on our socials and all that shit. And then real quick, Pat is having a couple shows that he wants me to announce. Uh, So February 20th is at Max Bar in Lansing. Uh, It's Good Sleepy, Cloud District, Dog Sneeze and Brevity. And then at Button and Bellas over in Ipsy on February 22nd, Harvey Waters, Dearly Somber, Labor Day weekend, and Dog Sneeze. And then last one, 
is Doe Eyes, D-E-A-U, that's cute. Doe <laughs> Eyes, Giacomo, Craig Gar- and Craig Garwood at PJ's Logger House in Detroit on March 1st. And that is it. And we're going to have one more song. And there's going to be a non-pause. Oh, go ahead. All right. This song is called uh, Next Stop Bushwick, and it's the first song that I actually wrote for the new album. And uh, it's not going to be released as a single, so this is a sneak peek until the album comes out. So this is Next Stop Bushwick. Thank you again for letting me come by and talk about shit for an hour. It was nice. Oh, yeah, dude. Okay. My pleasure. A neighborhood without a name It disappeared without a trace And there's no need to find it now That I am living out of town I get on the train And I ask for your name A prize we can claim You begin to take aim And I panic and you smile And I'm manic Takes a while to calm down You stick around The night it looks so bright and we walk in the light and it's a quiet night and we both feel all right and Bushwick is my next stop and I know we just met but my heart is a firework a lit cigarette you say are you feeling okay My brain is astray and it makes me feel shame I tell you all of this and I don't know why And you put your hand on my back and I wanna cry I feel connected to you and I don't think I know why The night it looks so bright and we walk in the light and It's a quiet night and both feel alright and you cling on my sleeve and I don't know what that means but my face it turns red with some existential dread and I softly touch your hand and you grip mine with yours and you smile even more And I look towards the floor and Bushwick is my next stop And I know we just met But my heart is a firework, a lit cigarette Thank you. The actual song is a big saxophone solo at the end, but I can't emulate that right now, so that's it. The That's the song. Do, 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 do. <laughs>